EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. Today is March 1st, and British artist Thomas Cole McCormack, a lecturer in fine arts at Sheffield Hallam University, talks about the future of Europe. So is that the work, my work, or what I do, do as an artist? Your work as an artist, because I read that you do something on communication. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Connecting uh, through communication, which is very interesting. And then I will try to ask you, how do you see that your your artistic approach being yes. used, uh, I mean, for larger Europe? Because this is a very interesting idea, communication for connectivity. Yes. And Europe has that problem of being more integrating, more connected. It does. That's why I am asking that question. Okay. To I understand. Uh, the communication, uh, yes, I think you're referring to the text in the conference um, where I'm collaborating with uh, another artist, Michelle Atherton. Um, and we were both representing uh, a group of artists. And the part of the interest in that uh, is appropriate to this uh, idea of Europe, I guess. Because for us, it was not just about communication, it was about um, connecting with other cultures in Europe, first of all. Does that make sense? Uh, it absolutely makes sense. <laughs> so also, for, for me personally as an artist, I collaborate a lot, uh, as well as doing my own practice. And I think um, that idea of communication is, is the most vital material uh, you work with, because it's, it's very often about ideas, um, your work. Yes, but, but now I'm, I'm struggling to bring it back to the European question. Um, <laughs> May I jump in and start of course. asking um, what is the future that is emerging now in Europe? Well, it's on different levels. I could speak within uh, the future, within the art um, community establishment. Uh, but it's more interesting, I think, to talk about the future of EU and Europe as a, a collectivity of countries and people. I think it's going through probably its biggest crisis uh, since the Second World War. Um, and being British, Irish-British, it's, there's also a secondary uh, question that we are having a referendum uh, within a few months. And that's quite, that's a huge concern for a lot of us uh, in the creative um, community in Britain. Um, and I think it's also a concern for a lot of people in Europe that a country could want to leave the, the project. Um, but I think uh, the there's been some factors in recent months and years that have really tested the European Union, uh, most recently the um, immigration crisis out of Syria, uh, and how the EU can't collectively really deal with that problem. There's no collective voice or solution, it seems. Um, and different countries are dealing with it in very different ways, and and because of that, they're acting against each other, and I think that's creating real long-term frictions uh, for, for the, that union. Um, the other one is Greece. Uh, I think the problems that Greece has experienced, not just through its uh, debts, that were partly driven by the EU's uh, giving a very low interest rate in credit. But in, but in recent years, uh, 
it's been very, very... I think Greece has had a really awful uh, deal. They've really been given the short end of the stick uh, and left to... in a very unresolved flux space of dealing with huge issues, you know, mass unemployment, having to sell everything, but at the same time having a lot of Syrian refugees flooding into Greece is the first point. Um, so for me personally, I think it's the first time I've actually questioned the effectiveness of the European Union. Um, I've always been a very, uh, very big supporter, staunch supporter of the European Union. I guess my reason for that is because I was born in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, uh, and that's a, a part of the world. That, luckily, it's not so much the case now, but experienced a kind of war, uh, a sectarian religious uh, divide and war. And I, like a lot of people, my generation and others around me, uh, rejected it, either left or didn't want to know about that. And I think for me... Uh, well, particularly, uh, I guess this anecdote is when I was in sixth form, when I was about 17, in my last year of school, I was asked if I wanted to go to this this debate in Edinburgh, a uh, sort of school debate. And I was told it was a EU debate. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really know what the EU was at that point. Um, but to go there and take part in this sort of small conference with, with, with school people of my age from all over Europe was fantastic. For me, because it opened, um, it opened a space that was far bigger than this very small war that I was, you know, that was all I knew, um, and it seemed very petty and redundant somehow. And suddenly, to be told you're part of a European family of this huge scale, just made me. I don't know. It took a weight off, or it felt very liberating. Um, and then, and then that affected my outlook as an artist, I think. Not only when I went to art school in uh, England, but then it also helped my outlook for, to see me travel a lot in Europe and live in Vienna and Hamburg and, and other places um, as a young artist. And I think that's, speaking personally as an artist, that, that's a fundamental importance uh, for, for creative people, to be able to have that ability to move freely uh, from one country to another. Um, but again, to go back to the social-political bigger questions, that, that's also the most fundamental uh, like the importance of the European Union, is that it's, it was set up after the Second World War to try to prevent uh, national uh, disagreements and uh, potential wars. And it's been very effective in that. Um, and this is why I think today we're really facing some huge challenges in the EU. Uh, and if we can't resolve them, I think the whole thing could come apart, really. Um, or if the whole thing doesn't come apart, I think you could end up with a smaller group of core countries and some other fringe disaffected ones. If we, uh, if you try to think in terms of um, I mean, you said that EU's face challenges and these fat challenges are currently, it's hard to overcome or con mm. close to being impossible. Mm. It's because we have the current political arrangement. If you can think in terms of um, another political arrangement that will allow the system to to be better, exist and be better, yes. what would, how would you imagine that? 
Well, I would agree, and I, uh, I'm not great at names, but I can say his first name. I totally agree with the former finance minister of Greece, Yanis, um, and he has some fantastic points. And the easiest one to, to bring up is to, to really democratise Europe. Uh, the, the European Union, the Strasbourg Parliament, Brussels. The, the problem, and I think a problem that's cited a lot in, the, in Britain, is that the, the mechanisms of, of the EU are not democratic enough. So it's often, terms are often used like bureaucracy, etc., etc. Um, and people in Britain, in one example, often cite the EU as being bureaucratically heavy, and, and but that's a convenient argument of the right in politics, I think, to always ask for less government, etc. I think the real point is what Yanis is saying, is, is that we need far more democracy. And what does that mean? It means right the way through all decision makings, uh, to make the European Parliament and Strasbourg have not just more um, say in lots of the decisions, because at the moment they happen very much within ministries and other areas, and it's not... But then the, the other point I'd say to, the, to that as well is it needs a lot more transparency. With this greater democracy um, is this point of clarity. Uh, sorry, transparency, not clarity. Um, and, it, and it's that perceived lack of transparency um, for, to a lot of people in Europe, particularly in the south of Europe, which have suffered a lot of the debt and so on, and feeling more disenfranchised, um, but also in Britain, I think, uh, that lack of perceived transparency with this democracy um, is, is, I think, the real problems for the EU at the moment. Uh, so it, it, it comes across to a lot of people as this sort of machine or something that people, individuals, don't have any control over or can't affect. Uh, and that's not good, you know, because democracy... Democracy has its problems, but at least we all feel that at least every four or five years we can affect some change um, or have some choice. And I think a lot of people don't feel like they have that so much in the EU. And that's even an example within Britain, the idea of this referendum. A lot of people are saying, well, even if we vote no to leave, the momentum will still take us forward or, you know, uh, we'll it's not really going to change anything. So there's this sort of almost ingrained mentality now that whatever we do, the, the EU project... What, so one, part, one important part of the EU project is ever greater integration. Um, and that's something I know the right, the government in Britain, which is to the right, the Conservatives have, have huge problems with that idea and, and historically always have. And the left is not very happy with that idea, integration, as are the Liberals. Um, but the idea that whatever we do or whatever happens, this European project of ever greater integration, citing the Euro as one example, um, is going to just keep going, uh, re regardless of what anyone thinks or says or does. You spoke about democracy and uh, the ability to affect politics at least every four or five years. Mm. So. I, I assume you don't find satisfactory the level of citizens' citizens' participation in EU's EU life. Uh, 
how do you see it could be increased if you you find it's not in a sufficient level or if I'm yes, correct? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. I think it's I think it's incredibly complicated. I, I'm uh, I think it's more effective in some countries in the EU than it is in others. How how that could happen, I think, varies from country to country, and I think some countries are more successful at it than others. And some of the more successful ones are countries like Germany and some Scandinavian countries, even though some Scandinavian countries are partly in uh, and out of the. Um, if I take the one I live in, Britain, I think there's there's some issues in that country that are stacked against uh, the, the populace, the people finding a, a better system to be integrated and more engaged with you. One of the things I'm thinking of is the media. Uh, the newspaper, printed media, um, is very skewed in Britain and the majority of it is very anti-EU, I would say. Uh, not just the broadsheets, but the tabloids. Um, and that makes it very difficult to have a positive overview or message about the EU. So usually the positive voice of being more engaged with the EU is drowned out, or you don't quite hear it, because there's so many other voices continually telling the people what's wrong. Or, you know, we have newspapers, new tabloid newspapers that do nothing but uh, invent or fabricate stories that the EU is doing this or it's making our straightening, we can only have straight bananas or we can only you know, uh, eat cheese on a Tuesday or something, they, they totally invent scare um, the populace so it's, it's a shame to have to talk about media but that, that uh, until we have a level playing field and clarity of, of in, uh, just clarity of access to truth and information uh, it's very hard to then engage in that uh, process more so when I think about the European Union elections it's always seen as a minor um, event it often happens at the same time as local elections um, and a lot of people in Britain don't even probably could name their local MEP member of European Parliament um, whereas they could more their national MEP uh, but as I said, that's quite different in different countries across Europe. Um, yeah. So the opposite to that, again, I'd go to somewhere like uh, Greece and Syriza. And the, the, talking about some of the tragedies that have happened in that country uh, through being a member of the European Union, um, it's not all their own fault at all. Um, one of the, the wonderful things I think that's happened is the it's, it's general it's kind of um, not so much radicalized but it's really made the people really engaged with the question of Europe um, and of course there's extremes there's anti-European anti-German extremes the anti-establishment and the rich and uh, but above all that everyone because I was there a few months ago, everyone is very engaged in this European question. And I think that's fantastic, because when that referendum was put to the Greek people in the summer, the one thing they didn't want to do was, and they voted, when, they, when the people voted, was to leave the EU, even though it could have been more beneficial for them uh, financially in the long run. Um, another question that uh, just... 
comes to my mind is about multiculturalism. Mm. Use policy that was much criticized, but uh, given the given your attitude that you is going to continue its deeper integration policy, how do you see this multiculturalism in this integration process? How it can how how, how what's its role in Europe's emerging future? Yes, Europe's role in. Uh, the future of um, this, this question of multiculturalism in Europe um, is, is fascinating. And I think it, it's one of the core questions that is going to make or break Europe, I think, in the next years. Um, multiculturalism in Europe is going to really be dealt with in different ways within Europe. And this is what's happening in former East, Eastern countries in Europe, not just Hungary, but a lot of the Slavic countries are really closing down their borders. Um, and some people are saying it's not just an anti-multiculturalism, it's it's an anti-Christian perspective. They are very fearful um, of uh, a challenge to their orthodoxy. Uh, whereas I think some of the countries to the west and the north of Europe have, have been... Uh, have had a lot of immigration over decades and have become a lot more... It's, it's become normal. And of course Germany has taken over in over a million, um, not just Syrians, but um, right across from Iraq to Egypt, um, Tunisia. But even that, I think, is starting to concern uh, some of the populace in Germany. But anyway, I think in Britain we've always kind of pr- tried to pride ourselves in a sense of multiculturalism, um, even though Again, there's two different readings of that. There's the right and the left in politics, and the right is very... It doesn't like the idea of multiculturalism. But it finds it very hard to argue against it, because I think it's been, it, it is a great success in Britain. And I'm not saying we're better than anyone else. Um, and a, a really lovely example of that was in the Olympics in 2012. Uh, there was a sort of celebration of multiculturalism. And one of the... The, the great debates about multiculturalism for us in, in Britain, within Europe, is the National Health Service. And that, because that employs everybody, uh, and it needs people to come in from different countries because it's a huge organisation. Uh, and it's something that people are very, they're very passionate about. They don't treat it like a company or something. You know, it's a, so it's a really interesting lens on something that's multiculturalism. Um, so someone in the right could make an argument about there's too many people coming in here from here, there and everywhere. Uh, and they even make arguments about and they come and use our health service for free. But the answer to that is always, well, it's the same people coming in here and working in that service and looking after you and you know, and that service wouldn't, wouldn't survive without... Uh... So it's interesting, I guess I'm talking about the NHS, is it's a filter for a lot of people in Britain, within Europe, uh, as... As, as a revealing way to understand the benefits of multiculturalism. Um, and I think that's not the main reason, but I think it's a really significant reason. Um, but yes, to go back to the EU in general, I think this is the crisis between you know, the former Eastern countries, the Slavic countries mostly, and, and also Hungary, um, that, it, that is resisting this and very fearful of it, and, and even Poland now as well, uh, and therefore very right-wing governments are, are forming. 
and they're closing everything down and they're almost using the fear of multiculturalism to um, their advantage, really. Um, and that is the biggest challenge, I think, to Europe uh, since its foundations. Because the Schengen Agreement and the open border structures, um, so something's going to happen there. Something either has to be resolved or something's going to separate somehow, I think. And I guess that also goes back to the, another bigger question of part of the momentum of the EU has always been to expand. And people talk a lot about how it was easier 20 years ago when there was 18 members or 16, whatever it was, to now where there's 28, 29, and still expanding to take in other countries, including Serbia and Montenegro, etc. Et um, so it's, it's a very interesting and complex uh, dynamic, I think, at the moment. The EU's expanding, expanding, but the more countries that get absorbed into it are taking more and more very different perspectives from some of the founding countries. Um, and I don't know how they're going to resolve it. Um, and then there's the economic questions beneath multiculturalism, which is like an example of the NHS, but right across Europe and also in southern countries, there's a lot of sort of... Um, there's a lot of um, almost hidden migration economically where people are coming into countries and being paid below minimum wage, not really getting any workers' rights and existing below the radar. Uh, and a lot of these European countries are benefiting from that. And there's some really interesting artists, uh, projects, works, revealing some of those um, as, as documentary filmmakers and so on as well have, have done. And recently I saw an example of that on a documentary about a whole huge community of Indian workers in Greece um, that don't have any rights and aren't even really acknowledged and they're working the land, uh, olive groves, etc, etc, being paid next to nothing. But that, that happens again and again and again right across a whole range of... Uh, so I, I think there's many ways the EU needs to really address this actually have a, a collective joined up policy position and not let it sort of either fester in some parts or, or let, let the sort of momentum of, of different areas of the EU take very different perspectives on it, um, be totally against it. Or, no, okay, so one more point I'd say is Again, some people in the right are using the generosity of someone like Angela Merkel inviting as many Syrians as would like to come to Germany, using that as a, t a tactic to put fear into their own populations by saying, as soon as these people are national uh, naturalized and become German citizens, they can then move over here. So th these are the cracks that some people on the right... Uh, I'm not saying everything, all the problems are coming from the right, but it's convenient for them to then deconstruct the EU or reconstruct it in their own making. Um, and to them, I'd say it's mostly simply a trading block and none of the social um, democratic elements of the EU, uh, none of the idealism. If you, uh, if you can talk shortly about how the first question, the very first question, how you see your the methods you use in your art mm. to be largely uh, in implicated or used in terms of maybe in EU or somehow mm. uh, shaping <coughs> or affecting the future 
the merging culture. Wow. Is it, is it, is it, do you see it possible? I mean, because the artists, uh, US artists have this uh, uh, real privilege of uh, taking ideas and then mm. presenting in a way mm. that these ideas affect people. Yes. People's minds and yes. and the ways you see it first, nobody else sees it. Yes. Um, the, all this, all this connection, all these cells that work together. Yes. Is in, in a whole. Yes. I think that's a really interesting question. Um, how within your practice as an artist can you affect uh, this this project that is the EU and the future of where it's going, uh, and with the issues we've been talking about. I think it was really interesting in the conference because it was something that was raised by many of many of the artists talking in some of the uh, discussion groups, platforms, coming back to this about the idea of making people aware or allowing a practice to reveal something or um, put a spotlight on something. A big part of the interest for us in what we were doing and what we were talking about here in Boston uh, was this agency lab and one of the fundamental goals of that was to set up as many types of connections with people across countries and part of that the six of us that set it up uh, were all based in Britain and we wanted to, we really wanted to get out of Britain can you, can you explore on that what's this collaboration lab I'm not sure I know sorry um, there's there's uh, what we came to talk in Boston about was this structure where I, as an artist and as an academic, uh, along with five others, artist academics that I work in a university with, um, wanted to set up something uh, that allowed us to go to other countries. And we pretty much focused it within the EU, within Europe, because because uh, it's there and it's very accessible. And one of, the, one of the six of us is Danish, originally, Lise Autogenia. Uh, and we called ourselves Agency Lab, and that's what we That was the reason we were... That was what our discussion was about in Boston. Um, and so a, re, a thing... One of the primary things we wanted to do as the six of us was to not just engage with artists in other countries, but to try to set up a different type of network we kind of coined the phrase a speculative network and, and not to go into that too much but it was trying to find a, a, a different ways to move ideas and individuals or processes around and have a, have a light lightness or a playfulness to it um, and what, what so why do that I guess one of the great things is, is for anyone but if I talk from an artist's perspective is you could make a work, an artwork, and it may not be well received where you live. If I say I live in London, it may, you know. But the great thing is, being part of a community of 28, 29 countries, you can find an audience somewhere else that you can connect with. Uh, and that's very important. Um, so those slight shifts of visibility, and I guess I'm talking about the focus on the artist, we can get to the bit about the what the artists can do for the the people, the audience. That slight shift for for an artist um, or a work to one culture to another um, is very significant. That that's a big part of what 
I don't know if I've explained enough about this agency of what it's trying to do, but this speculative network is basically all it is. It's about finding connections of other artists and also curators and other people involved in, the, in the, that creative area and trying to start ideas or exchange something. Um, and so for us, or to speak for myself, the idea of, of a referendum taking us out of the EU is terrifying, you know, because, yes, the idea of being in a country that would leave the EU is, is a nightmare. You know, it's something I think would seriously affect uh, a lot of artists and make them really consider if they could carry on living in London. Um, yeah, um, I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, I could say within the art community world, London is already quite a hermetic uh, space. It, it doesn't really, in many ways, look so much to Europe. I guess it's a little like New York or something. It's, it sort of is in a bubble in itself. And it likes to think incredibly internationally. And that's a kind of part hangover from Britain having an empire once. Um, so, not to talk about Britain too much, but it does have this odd um, psychosis <laughs> where it knows it's a little island in the world. It's not America, it's not China. Um, but it has this hangover of an empire sense of importance uh, and that always kind of uh, clouds it, its vision of its relationship within Europe it always conveniently as an island sees itself sitting aside from Europe and it's often common to hear people in Britain refer to Europe as being that place over there you know and so you, you hilariously have people correct each other in Britain and go well we're in Europe you know or it's over there so this is a really interesting and this is the, the nub, I think, of the discussions around the referendum as well. Um, I think it, it'll be... I think it'd be hard-pushed to find any artists that are not pro-European. So yes, I think in one way it's odd because um, because London's in the, the art community in London, of which I'm part, is in a kind of bubble. It, it doesn't think about itself as within Europe as much as a bubble within the world. On another level, all those individual artists, I think, would... Uh, find the idea of being removed from the EU as the worst outcome, and they would a lot of them find other ways to reconnect with the EU by either moving to it or, or I don't know what. Um, so yes, so I'm as an artist fearful of what's happening in the next months in this referendum. Um, I, I, like a lot of people, see this uh, this idea of the referendum as an argument between a very small group of people in politics on the right, arguing amongst themselves. Um, but I can't. I also have to acknowledge that there is a a large community of working class people who have been. I don't want to discount it because they've been brainwashed by the media, who have genuine concerns about multiculturalism. They see it as. You know, they see the negativities of people coming in and stealing their jobs and etc. But statistics prove that's not the case. It's not that simple. Um, yeah. Um, again, I'm digressing. Yeah. Is, uh, I have to question if it's not too much. I mean, there are both <coughs> concluding questions. One is, uh, what's your? Im I mean, what would be the ideal Europe you would imagine for yourself? Mm. And then 
if I missed to ask you about something that you, you want to tell me about, I would love to listen to okay. it. What, what do you mean at the end? Is that the second question? The second question was, was if I missed to ask you about something, but you think it's oh, I see. absolutely oh, necessary right. to tell about me, or you want to tell I about me. I understand. I would love to hear about that. Well, I have to think about the first question. What was the first question? <laughs> the question was about your... I, we talked a the lot. ideal, yes. Yeah, your imaginary, if you could sit and imagine... That, that's because our idea is to kind of boost people's think about the future of Europe. Of course, and then that's that, that's why I'm asking so of many course. questions yes. about that very idea. Yes. Of well, that's that's a fantastic question, and that looks to the positive in the future. The idea of um, what is the the not just the, the utopian, but the ideal Europe. What is the future? What could I? I guess I, I would start that answer by going back to when I was 17 and only growing up. In, in a space that I was aware of, from part, partly my own ignorance, of a small regional conflict of one side against another, fighting over religions that were both within Christianity and not that different in many ways. And it was all petty and small and regional. Um, and suddenly being told there was this greater union uh, of where everyone was equal and, and the structure that sat above such pettiness and localism was a utopian to me coming out of a city that was you know devastated and bleak and etc and etc now that was a, that existed for me because it's not that I came out of Belfast wasn't that bad I don't want to make it sound like um, Hiroshima or something or Poland or somewhere after the war um, but it was enough to be made aware of this community, this greater community of Europe. It was exciting and it was both romantic, which you'd say as an artist, um, and that's important because I think the future of Europe, and the things we should talk about Europe, not to go back to that, this question of referendum and so on, is the important things. It, it's it's the, the, um, the belief in it, it's the ideals, you know, it's um, it, it's it's the idea of collectivity and shared uh, citizenship and space. It was, uh, citizenship's a really important word as a British citizen. Sorry, I'm not a citizen, you know. But in Europe, in the EU, I am a citizen. It's a very small thing. In Britain, you're you're a, um, a subject of ro of the royal of the, the king or the queen, the queen in this case. And that's a that's a thing about sovereignty. So again, to me, coming from a, a, just to explain slightly more on that, growing up in the North of Ireland, when you reject a small conflict, that then questions what is your citizenship, what is your country? Um, so then the EU kind of became a country, I'd say, for me, as a, idealistically. Um, and to then that simple technicality thing of everyone's a citizen within the EU, is a, is a very significant difference to being a subject. A subject's a medieval royalist thing, you know. Citizenship is wonderful, you know, that puts me in contact with the ideals of France. Wonderful, you know, fought for revolutions and, uh, you know, wars that were about really, about ideals. Um, so if it can allow artists or any individuals to, ha to have that bigger understanding of ideals, and not just small regional 
uh, interpretations of things. That that is the ideal of Europe, I think. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much. That, no, that that was very interesting. I have never ever heard anybody relating to the idea of citizenship in that way. Yes. So this is absolutely genuine and interesting. Yeah. I, I, I hope, I am sure many people in the States have no idea about that. Yes. Just go and blow well, their the, Well, they're citizens in the US. They have, you know, they also, well, they have a, here in Boston, they, they rejected the British monarchy, Britain, you know, the Tea Party, and they threw, you know, and then they wrote a Bill of Rights and a Constitution and became citizens. Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.